But tonight we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 6. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go there. And I know most of you have been tracking with us as we're going through the book of Ezekiel. But just in case there's someone here uh, who hasn't you know, been here during these studies, uh, I think it's just good to give you just a really quick background uh, of understanding where we're at in the Bible. This is uh, the prophet Ezekiel who is in Babylon ministering to the Jews um, because they unfortunately had been disobedient. Now, when you study the history of Jerusalem and Judah, the southern kingdom there, what you find is that the Babylonians came and they, they besieged the city in 605 BC and they took away Daniel and others. Uh, the Jews still didn't learn their lesson. They still didn't get right with God. They still were not obedient to God. And so again, the Babylonians came in 597, and that's when Ezekiel was taken away, among others. And so now, picture Ezekiel in Babylon trying to tell the people, hey man, God loves you, and God wants uh, us to live a life of obedience. And so, you know, the people were thinking, oh, it's no big deal. We're going to go back to uh, Judah and Jerusalem. He'll never, ever, ever let the temple be destroyed. And we have that, you know, religious uh, icon on our side. But Ezekiel was saying, no, you have to get right with God. We're not messing around here. We're not playing church here. Well, we, you have to get right with God. Because if not, this is going to happen. And, you know, sure enough, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and said, judgment is going to come and it's going to be so severe that the women and, 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 the, and the fathers will be eating their children. The most horrible thing that you can think of will happen because of the fact that you did not heed the warnings of God. You know, and I know this is a dorky illustration, but you guys are okay with this, right? You still love me. I was thinking just how a simple thing like a sponge. Most of us have, you guys have those yellow sponges. One side is yellow. The other side is green and abrasive. Do you guys have any of those at your house? All right. So we got to know that that's how, in, in one sense, God is. You know, God is gracious and he's here tonight willing to forgive any of our sins. You guys know that? You come to him. I messed up today. You can ask my daughter. She saw me speed when I was driving today. Uh, I sinned. I've sinned. But Lord, forgive me for that. And he's willing to forgive me of my sins because, man, I, I, I just come to him and I humble myself. And so he's willing to forgive us. There's that loving God, that gracious God, that merciful God. He's so amazing, right? But, but if an individual just is defiant... And they're like, well, I'm going to sin anyways. Then there's the abrasive side of the sponge. It's the holiness of God. It's the discipline of God. It's the thrangasos that he gives to us, right? It's the, you know, if you're a Christian, he'll discipline you. He'll spank you. And believe you me, it'll hurt. It'll hurt. It'll sting hard enough to change you because he loves you, right? That's what good parents do. But if you don't want to accept Christ, then it's even worse. And so, you know, I thank God for the book of Ezekiel. I thank God that we don't uh, have, you know, us an understanding like, oh, God, you know, he doesn't care what we do. We can go ahead and, you know, sin. And no, no, we have to have a, a, a complete understanding of God, the, the holiness of God, the healthy fear of God, because it's my responsibility to do, to share you the, the word with you. So that you go to heaven. 
when you die and not just go to heaven when you die but have a wonderful life while you live and that doesn't mean that we're gonna we're gonna be perfect but we try to be proper we try to be faithful we try to be obedient and god will bless obedience so ezekiel is a tough book we're gonna look at it most of it has to do with god you know just punishing uh, these people but there is also a section here where these remnant and prayerfully that's us there are there is a small portion of people in the united states of america there is a small portion of people in the world today most don't follow god but there is a small portion that do hopefully that's us and so look what we read here ezekiel chapter 6 In verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Then your altars shall be desolate, your incense altars shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. See, see, the enemy was lying to them, telling them, you know, it's no big deal. You're, you're going to be fine. But now God tells them, no, you know what? This is what's going to happen. He, he sets his face against the mountains and the hills and the ravines and the valleys. Because over there, if you were to look at Jerusalem, you would see that on the high places, that's where they would build their altars and they would offer their sacrifices to the pagan gods. A lot of sexual sin was taking place right there. Sexual sin. Sex outside of marriage is sexual sin. That was all taking place right there. And they were offering up their incense. Incense in the Bible is prayer. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, it explicitly calls incense prayer. Uh, Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayers rise to you as incense. So they were praying to pagan gods. They're praying to Baal. They're praying to Ashtoreth. And one of the things about the pagan practices is there's a lot of sexual sin. And so what happens when there's sexual sin? There's unwanted pregnancies. And so what do you do with these kids? Well, that's when Molech comes in. And they would take these babies and they would offer them, they would burn them, they would kill them, they would slaughter the children uh, to, to Molech. And so, kind of like what's going on in our world today. You know, a lot of crazy stuff, uh, a lot of abortion, a lot of sexual sin, a lot of pornography, a lot of uh, idolatry. And so the Lord says, Ezekiel, set your face to these people because they would build their altars on the high places because they thought for whatever reason that they'd be closer to their gods, you know. And uh, and God says, I'm going to judge all those altars. They're going to be broken down and your men are going to be slain right in front of them. So God would use the Babylonians to do that, to punish his people. Look what he says in verse 5, and I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling places, the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, your idols may be broken and made to cease, your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. 
The slain shall fall in your midst, and here it is, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So if you read Ezekiel, you'll know this is a familiar phrase, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Sixty-three times in the book of Ezekiel, he says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. You're going to know that I'm the Lord. One day you're going to know, even though you might deny it, you might defy it. You're going to know one day that God is God. God is God. The Lord is the Lord. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. One day people are going to discover that, whether it's the good way or the bad way. But one day everyone will know that he's God, not us. And so here the Lord, you know, to me it's kind of cool too. Because there's so much within this statement. You know, you're going to know the Lord. You're going to know that I am the Lord. And I was thinking about, um, if you would, maybe go to the book of Hosea. You guys didn't know there was any Hispanics in the Bible. Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. Because here's, here's what it is, you guys. It's just knowing the Lord. Like, you, do you know me? Some of you guys, I know you. It's your, my friend, or we have a relationship. Some people you don't know. You might see them over there sitting over there. They're sitting on that side or whatever. You don't know them. Question, do you know the Lord? Do you have, do we have a personal relationship with him? And that's where we just have to call on the name of Jesus. And he saves us. He washes away our sins. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's this relationship we have with him. But a lot, most people don't know the Lord. Here in Hosea chapter 4, look what it says in verse 1. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge, there it is, of God in the land. Now, believe you me, it's not just intellectual knowledge. It's not like, well, hey, they don't have a degree. They don't have enough education. No, they don't have this knowledge of just this intimate, personal relationship with God. Same thing here in verse 6. Look what he says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, something that we talked about on Sunday, I, I hope you don't miss. You, you guys know Jesus? You know Jesus? that died for you on the cross, rose again, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who bore our sins on Calvary, Jesus Christ, whose blood washes away our sins. Jesus, who Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says to him who loved us and washed us from our sins. And you guys know Jesus. He's enough. You don't have to add to that rules and regulations. You don't have to add to that religion. Jesus is enough. But I will say this, that we should deepen our relationship with Jesus. These people right here, unfortunately, they were destroyed. Why? Because lack of knowledge. This lack of deep and intimate relationship with him. If you go over to chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. You know, I hope and pray, even just this is like an encouragement to you. Let's spend the rest of our lives getting to know Jesus more. This is so important for us. Let us pursue, it says right here, 
you know, the knowledge of the Lord. Look in verse 6, same chapter, Hosea chapter 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Because sometimes we think, well, the, the religion, that's what God wants. No, you know, coming to church is awesome. I'm so proud of you guys, especially coming on a midweek service. But, you know, coming to church is only so that we can get to know him more. How much he loves us. How much he's sovereign over our lives. How much he cares and captures every tear that we cry. Uh, how much uh, the Lord is, is holy and gracious. To get to know him. If you go over to um, Matthew chapter 7. Notice what we read in verse 21 of Matthew 7. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness see to do the will of the father is to believe in the son but when you believe in the son you don't live in consistent insistent resistant persistent sin i don't care what you've done i don't care how many times you prayed that prayer i don't care how many times you go to church what position you have in the church it doesn't matter if you're living in consistent insistent resistant persistent sin he says you who practice lawlessness then one day when you're there, you can't be bragging on God saying, well, I did this, that, and the other. He says, no, I never knew you. Depart from me. See, it's about knowing the Lord. It, it really is. If you go to John uh, chapter 17, You guys might remember, this was uh, Jesus' uh, prayer in the garden, part of what he prayed. It says in verse 1 that Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, here it is, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, it's about knowing the Lord, and the Greek word speaks of a personal relationship. It's gnosko, or our Spanish is gnosko, right? To know him. He loves you. He died for you. When you say yes, then what ends up happening is we enter into a relationship with him. There's a, a cool couple more verses. Second um, Peter, if you would go to Second Peter. And look what it says in chapter three of Second Peter, verse 18. It says, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior." Jesus Christ. See, growing in the knowledge 
of Jesus. That's why Paul said, and we, don't, we won't turn to the last one, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so back in the book of Ezekiel, when you know these people are getting you know disciplined and punished and they're unfortunately losing the promised land, it was simply because they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know that he was the Lord, that God is God. And that which, that's what got them in trouble. And so we're going to read it over and over again as we go through the book of Ezekiel. Look, if you would, back in Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 8. So he's going to deal with those guys. They're going to die there dead right in front of their idols. But verse 8 says, Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried away captive. Check this out. Because notice what God says. I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. And by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed and all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. And so we, I I pray that you guys, that we would be the remnant. Now, you guys remember what Jesus said, the road to hell is broad and most people go that way. You guys know that, right? The world that we live in. How many people are really following Jesus? The world that we live in. There's not a lot, huh? You know, even in the church, you know, not everyone who goes to church is really a follower of Christ. They, they might believe him in his head, but not in their hearts. They might say, well, yeah, he's my savior, but he's not my Lord. No, he has to be your Lord and savior, and you have to believe in him in your heart. So all I'm saying is that the road to life is narrow, and there are few who find it. You know, praise God, we are part of what he calls right here the remnant. And so they would escape the sword. They would be out there among the nations. He says in verse 9 that those who escape would then remember him. I love that. And and then they would remember what they had done. And to me, when I read verse 9, where God says, I was crushed by their adulterous heart, um, That just, man, that communicates volumes to me. God is not like this, you know, machine up in the sky that is emotionless, that that doesn't hurt when we don't respond to his love. Imagine being married. And have you guys, um, I don't know, hopefully there's still that, there's some romantics out there. Is there some romantics out there? Do you guys remember what it is falling in love? I mean, love, oh, you love this person, right? And then, you you know, you get married and you're just looking forward to a life of love. And, you know, you're just, you're just so blessed with your, your spouse. Look at this gal or look at this guy that you got. And, man, you know, things are, are going good and, you, you know, you've got, she, everything is just coming together, the house, the family. Then one day you find out that they're having an affair. That they're sleeping with somebody else. What does that do to you? Well, that's what it happens 
whenever we put anyone or anything before God. And what God says right here is it crushes him. It, it crushes him. You know, God does hurt. Genesis chapter 6, when there was sin continually in the world, it says that it grieved his heart and he was sorry that he made man. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Bible talks about we, we, can't, we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. We can actually hurt God. And, and I don't know if you guys ever think about sin that way, but we should. If I do this, it doesn't just hurt that person. It hurts God. And if it breaks his heart, then it should break my heart. When, when it comes to sin, it shouldn't just be, well, I'm sorry that I did it because of the consequences. No, I'm sorry that I did it because of what it did to you, Father. And what we see right here is God is speaking to the, about this remnant and what a beautiful thing they are, you know, that remember in chapter five, I think it was verse 13, it says that he took a little bit and he put it in the hem of his garment, that that's who we are. We're, we're the remnant. And so God here says in verse 10, again, then they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. Now, verse 11 says the, the Lord, this says the Lord Pound your fists and, and stamp your feet and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by, by famine, and, and by pestilence. So right there where it says uh, pound your fists, it, it, it might mean clap. So it literally means strike the hands. And so I, some people have thought, well, maybe he's you know speaking like mocking and, and clapping in that sense. But, but what we see right here is that God would then bring judgment and we see the sword and we see famine and, and pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword and he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I spend my fury upon them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When their slain are among their idols, all around their altars, on every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. And, and when you read about the high places and you read about them, you know, worshiping their gods, their pagan gods in all these different places, um, it, it's again, it makes me check my heart, you know, because I don't know, I guess I could put things before God. I, I get excited, you know, about payday maybe more excited about, you know, payday than I do about him. Or I get excited about maybe that certain individual that you have singled out. You're so excited to be with them and maybe not as excited about God. And we see people and, you know, and I don't want to be legalistic here by any means. So I got to be careful when I tell you this. But we see people going to a, a Laker game and they just go crazy, you know, get excited. I like the Lakers. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Dodger fan, too. It's just, you know, in my, my DNA. That's how I was raised, right? So, you know, you get excited when they win. But, but sometimes I, I wonder if it borderlines on, on worship because, you know, you just, want, you just want that so bad. And then you wonder, well, is your, are your affections strong for God? 
You know, we talked about relations, ambitions, possessions. Anything that comes before God is an idol. And this is what was going on. They were just simply guilty of idolatry in all these different places. God says, I'm going to have to deal with you because um, we even sang the song earlier, how God is a jealous God, how God is a jealous God. And so if we're living a life where we're putting other things before him, then he's going to have to discipline us. And so we read here, um, how far did I get? Do you guys know? So I'm in 14. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla in all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And basically, God says it's going to be a desert from New York to California. (laughs) All this place. One day we'll see it. Can you imagine, you guys, it's going to be a trip when Jesus comes. The Bible says he's coming on a white horse. We're going to come uh, riding on, on, on horses behind him. Have you guys ever been on a horse? It's going to be fun. These are horses that fly in the sky. We're going to come down with him, and he's going to have a sword in his mouth, and he's going to do all the fighting, and he's going to smite the earth. That's what's going to happen. Then everyone will know who he is, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, you wish it could happen now. You wish it could happen. Look what he did on the cross. Look what he did. He rose from the dead. He conquered the coffin, gutted the grave, defeated death. Look at him now. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one who's influenced the world the way that Jesus has. No one like him. So why don't they bow down now? If only they would, they should. But if they don't want to accept him as the lamb then one day they'll discover who he is when the lion comes. And this is kind of what Ezekiel is saying. You guys don't want to acknowledge God. You don't want to acknowledge the Lord. One day when everyone's dead and the blood is there and all this calamity and catastrophe comes, then you're going to know who he is. This is what Ezekiel is trying to share. Look what he says in the next chapter, in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel. And you're going to see the word end. Notice how often it's used in the the first six verses. Thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end has come upon you. And I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will repay your ways, and your abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Sixty-three times he says that in Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, a disaster, a singular disaster. Behold, It has come, an end has come, the end has come. It has dawned for you. Behold, it has come. The end of what? The end of something that was so awesome. 
You know, think about the children of Israel coming out of the, you know, Egypt, out of bondage, and God set them free with the ten plagues. He stretched his muscles, and then he led them through the wilderness, and then he parted the Jordan River so that they could go now and enter into the promised land. So the promised land is the land of victorious Christian living. The promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land is a life that is beautiful, a life that is wonderful, a life that is blessed. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily an easy life, but this was the life that God had for you. The promised land, this life that is just so wonderful, flowing with everything we need and, and even in one sense, everything we want that's good for us, it's a blessed, beautiful, wonderful, amazing, glorious life that God gives to us. It doesn't have to end. But if an individual chooses to live in insistent, consistent, persistent, resistant sin, then, you know, eventually an individual might cross the line to where, man, that life plan A, this beautiful thing that I had for you, it comes to an end. See, the children of Israel were promised the land and they could have stayed there. All they had to do was just abide in a love relationship with God. That's all. Very simple, right? But they wouldn't listen and so God disciplined them. If you read the book of Judges, seven times he disciplined them in the land, right? But they still didn't listen and so eventually he had to vomit them out of the land. See, and so I'm here doing this study with you guys so that he doesn't vomit me out of the land. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking about a life that I know that God wants to, to bless me with, but if I don't abide in him, if I kick against the goat, if I insist on doing it my way, then one day he may say, hey, Manny, you know, it, it was a nice, uh, a nice role you had, or what do they call it? It was a nice um, you know, you know, life up to a certain point. What happened? You know? And it doesn't mean I lose my salvation, but he might say, boom, you know, you're out of here. You've got to go over there. This now comes to an end. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. Now, God would eventually bring them back to the land, but it was a series of discipline, years, centuries, that they should have never experienced. You know, what we find in Second Chronicles 36.16, it says that they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. There was no other type of medicine, so to speak, no lesser type of discipline that could help. There was no other means of eliminating the evil from within their hearts. You know, one day our world will experience this, or our planet will experience this. And uh, I was even thinking just uh, along the, the same principle, um, you know, how sometimes we have to go through things that are painful, in order to bring us to a right relationship with God. And I've seen that over the years. You know, I've seen, you know, this individual here, they're a Christian, but they just continue to, 
you know, to drink, and next thing you know, this happened multiple times, by the way. They're in the hospital. They're, they're you know, it's a, it's a dangerous place. But, you know, God used that to bring them to him, to bring them back in right relationship. And so God won't do this unless he has to. How many of you parents here, I think it's okay to ask, but how many of you parents here would just... You liked spanking your kids. I'm just curious. Nobody did. If, if you do, get up here right now, kneel down, and ask God for forgiveness. And I'm just joking. None of us uh, like spanking our kids, you know? Mijo, don't do that. You know, first it's a verbal warning, right? And hopefully, every kid's different. Some will respond, you know, immediately. Uh, but if not, you know, then the constant, hey, you know, when I'm going to take away your, you know, your toy, and, you know, just different things that you use eventually, you know, you have to take the rod of understanding to the seat of discipline or something like that, whatever. Eventually, you know, you might have to give them a little spanking there where there's padding, no bruises, no marks. Remember that, right? Because you love your kids. And so God, what he's doing here is the same thing because he loves us, because he wants this relationship with us. And so this is what ended up happening to them. They would have to leave the land. They were taken out of the land in order to purge them of idolatry. And the cool thing about it is that the Jews never went back to that. God took that sin away from them. And so we read in verse 7, Doom has come to you, you who dwell in the land. The time has come, a day of trouble is near, and not of rejoicing in the mountains. Now upon you, I will soon pour out my fury and spend my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways. I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways and abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. You know, I can't even begin to imagine what God's righteous indignation would be. You know, how many of you here, I'm just curious, you have a, a, a bad temper? Just curious. It's okay, so two people are honest. <laughs> Probably all the guys uh, raise their hand. I, I get mad, you know. Um, usually when we get mad, though, or afraid... Um, or sometimes cry, sometimes it's for the wrong reason. You know, I might get mad because, you know, you dissed me, right? That's how people are. God gets angry with sin. God gets angry when the sin, you know, of course it affects the individual, that sin, but those that we sinned against, these abominations, these murders, these incests, all these shootings, all these things that are going on in the world. All the injustices, you know, these rich maybe getting richer off the poor and they're doing it, you know, they're doing it purposely. Um, they don't care. They got a whole bunch of money. They could help others, but they really don't want to. God sees all that kind of stuff, right? And so what we're saying is that God's, you know, you may have a temper, you may have an anger, but, but God, he is slow to anger, but, but when almighty God brings not judgment, justice. This is what Ezekiel's talking about. 
And you see all the crazy things going on in the world today, all the abominations, and uh, eventually God says, I, my, I will not spare, which is an interesting thing. Like, I would have a very difficult time, you know, beating someone down, to be honest. I would have a very difficult time seeing someone else getting, you know, killed, I guess you could say. But God says, I'm going to see it. I'm going to watch it happen. I, my eye won't spare. And so it's just critical, you know, for me to share with you that we do believe in Jesus Christ as our, our, our Savior, but we also have to know he's a holy, righteous judge. He, he really is. He's a just judge. And one day he will bring justice. It makes me examine my own life. Right here it says that he is the God, the Lord who strikes. And so in verse 10 it says, Behold the day, behold it has come. Doom has gone out. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, none of their multitude, none of them, nor shall there be wailing for them. And, and in one sense where it says uh, pride has budded and, you know, this, this rod has blossomed, it, it's simply basically saying, like, if you sow these types of seeds, like I'm going to sow seeds of pride and I'm going to sow seeds of violence, then God says and one day you're going to reap what you've sown. And, of course, we know that in God's vernacular, pride is, is not good. God esteems the humble. He resists the pride, the prideful. Verse 12, it says that the time has come, the day draws near. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is on their whole multitude. For the seller shall not return to what has been sold, though he may still be alive, for the vision concerns the whole multitude, and it shall not turn back. No one will strengthen himself who lives in iniquity. And this right here is in reference to um, the, the Jews had a year of jubilee. And so if you sold your property, uh, uh, you know, then, you know, let's just say you were, you know, went through hard times and, and you sold it, you know, because you needed the money. You know, you didn't have to worry too much because eventually you would get that back. It was called the year of Jubilee. It was the way that they kept equality because you kept your land. It was a beautiful law, actually, in the Old Testament. But, but God right here is saying that the seller can't rejoice that he got a good deal. The buyer can't, I mean, the seller can't rejoice that he's going to get it back. The buyer can't rejoice because he got a good deal out of it because you guys, you ain't even going back to the land. You know, it's God's holiness. What he says right there at the end, and in, in verse um, 13 at the end, no one will strengthen himself who lives in iniquity. So that's it, you guys. Um, do you know the, the meaning of Ezekiel, his name? Does anybody know what Ezekiel means? It, it, it means strengthened by God. Strengthened by God. And so we're here tonight studying the book of Ezekiel to be what? Strengthened by God. And one of the things he's sharing with us is that if you live, Manny, you know, he's trying to hit me up the head. Manny, if you live in iniquity, you're not going to be strengthened. That's what he's saying right here. Verse 14, it says, They have blown the trumpet and made everyone ready, 
but no one goes to battle. Imagine the Babylonians there and the Jews blow the trumpet. There's no army. <laughs> There's no soldiers who are strong enough to you know, have, whether it be an offense or a, or a defense. He says, for my wrath is on all their multitude. The sword is outside and the pestilence and famine within. Whoever is in the field will die by the sword and whoever is in the city, famine and pestilence will devour him. You know, we just got done with 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 COVID. And, you know, there are there are those out there who you know they have their their denials about it. And I know there's a lot of stuff that went on when it comes to COVID. But we have friends who worked at Rose Hills, and there were trailers of bodies that were dead. There were so many. Many of us here. My dad died early portion 2020, probably of COVID. Right, and so. You know, we know a little bit about pestilences. And so God right here is saying, this is what's going to happen. The sword, the, the famines. We know how ugly these pestilences are. Again, he says there in verse 15, whoever's in the field will die by the sword, and whoever's in the city, famine and pestilence will devour him. Those who survive will escape and be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning each for his iniquity and so there would be some that would live out like um in in one sense kind of like uh these 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 doves um like in hiding and uh, which is worse to just die or to be like on the run like that dove in, in hiding all I know is that those who do survive to escape, they'll be there like the doves of the valley. And it says that they'll be mourning each for his iniquity. And so that's a big uh, question. Like, when I sin, do I mourn over my sins? The Bible says, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Prior to that, it says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so the poor in spirit are, are those who realize that I have no righteousness of my own. Like I'm bankrupt. I'm not good enough. I'm not. You know, sometimes I think I am. I'm a pretty good guy. I tell my wife, I'm a pretty good guy. And, you know, I'm, and yet I'm a sinner. So I have to be humble. I have to be honest. Blessed are the poor in spirit but then he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. And, and most teachers will say that that contextually means that you mourn over your sins. But Manny, why do you mourn over your sins? Do you mourn over your sins because you don't like the consequences of them? Or do you mourn over your sins because it grieves God, it, it hurts God, and it's just the wrong thing? Not just consequences, but corrupt activity lord help me to mourn for the right reason right here i'm not sure if it's the right reason or not but it says right there all of them they're mourning each for his iniquity verse 17 says every hand will be feeble and every knee will be as weak as water they will also be girded with sackcloth horror will cover them shame will be on every face baldness on all their heads they will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. 
They will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomachs because it became the stumbling block of iniquity. Have you guys ever tripped over anything? I have many times. Um, in right, the Lord says right here, these people were tripping over silver and gold. They were stumbling over this thing that we call money. And that's why we have to be so careful when it comes to that. You know, money in and of itself is not sin. But the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many people out there, and I'm, I don't, probably not, well, I shouldn't say not you guys, the Lord knows, but, you know, how many people out there, you know, rich people, that they would never step foot in, in a church, they would never, ever think to um, fathom the thought that they actually need God because they have everything. And they, you know, continue to make money and it keeps them busy. And so they're not only, you know, after money, but they're possessed by their possessions. And what, you know, Ezekiel says right here is he says, no, this gold and this silver, verse 19, it's like refuse. Like when you're there and you're about to die and stand before God, believe you me, you're not going to be able to take your gold and say, here, God, can you get me into heaven? That's not going to get you into heaven. And even, you know, for us here looking at this, I remember what, what Jesus said in Matthew thirteen twenty two. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And so, you know, I guess it's applicable to all of you guys, but let me just talk to some of the, the guys here for a second. Okay, you got to make money. You got to get a job. You got to support your family. Now, some of the ladies, you know, you work as God leads you. I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm not saying that's sin. But especially the men, you got to work. You got to provide for your family. So, so I want to make sure that's clear. But don't overwork. Don't overwork to be rich. Don't put money before God. Because what we find right here is, he says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus said you can't serve God and money because eventually your loyalty will be exposed. God has to come first. You know, sometimes people work hard and just they get blessed, man. They, they're millionaires. If you're one, I would like to meet you tonight. No, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. No, you know, sometimes, and it's not that they were wanting to be rich. It's just happened. God blessed them in that way. That's cool. But, but that's not to be our, our goal. That's not to be our desire. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Check this out. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that's part of what the children of Israel were guilty of. They put 
mammon. They put this idol. They put God of silver and gold before the Lord. Look what it says in verse 20. As for the beauty of his ornaments, and that would probably be an idol. He said it in majesty, but they made from it the images of their abominations. They're detestable things. Therefore, I have made it like refuse to them. I will give it as a plunder into the hands of strangers and to the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they shall defile it. You know, right here, the Hebrew word translated refuse, it speaks of an aspect of sexual impurity, including the ritual uncleanness associated with a woman's monthly cycle. And so basically what the Lord is saying right here it, towards their beautiful ornaments is that this fancy and expensive idol would one day be futile. And so for us, prayerfully, you know, we don't put these things before God. Notice what we read in verse 22, I will turn my face from them and they will defile my secret place. That's in reference to the temple. My For robbers shall enter it and defile it, make a chain, for the land is filled with crimes of blood, and the city is full of violence. Therefore I will bring the worst of the Gentiles, and they will possess their houses. I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. And again, this is something else that they put before the Lord, the temple of the Lord. There that place with all that gold, $125 million of gold. Back in the day, all the known gold in the world, half of it was right there in the temple. So it's just crazy. This is what they put before God. But of course, we know that when it comes to the temple, the true valuables wasn't the gold. It was the presence of God. Like right here tonight, you know, you might not be feeling it. I don't know how what's going on in your mind right now. How many of you guys are thinking of In-N-Out? I'm just curious. You're like, yeah, we're going to go afterwards, you know, or what I'm going to have for dinner. There's something within us that's always thinking about what's, you know, to eat. But, you know, right here in this place, I have no doubt about it. God is here. You know, the presence of God. Now, is it because of this building right here? Is this building special? Well, it is pretty. I like the carpet and I like the design, I have to admit. Even the chairs, really cool, right? But it's not because of the building. It's because of you, the people, you. You're the apple of his eye. He loves you. He lives in you. We're gathered together in this way that this is what makes this place special. It's not the building. It's the people. And it just breaks my heart to think that because they, and hopefully we're looking at this and we're just learning lessons from them. None of us here can be perfect. We try not to sin, but we will sin. But we try not to. But we can be proper. We, we can't be flawless, but we think, I think we can be faithful. And as we're, as we're there, then God will keep us in the promised land. He won't have to destroy the temple or this beautiful life that he has for us. And that's what he's talking about right here. Look what he says in verse 25. Destruction comes 
They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and, and rumor will be upon rumor. And then they shall seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will perish from the priests and counsel from the elders. The king will mourn, the prince will be clothed with desolation, and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their way and according to what they deserve. I will judge them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And so, uh, in closing, let's just say that you're in a crazy situation in life and you want to ask God for help. God, guide me. God, help me. But there's no answer. There's no response. That's the point they had reached. The priest doesn't got the word. The prophet's got no guidance. There's no counsel from any of these leaders. The king has nothing to offer. The prince has nothing to offer. And in one sense, they had burned their bridges. And so what the Lord says right here is they're going to have to go through it now because of the fact that they crossed the line. And they're going to get what they deserve. And then they're going to know that I am the Lord. So, so in closing, let me just tell you guys this. There, there's basically two types of people in the world, okay? There's those who say, Lord, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, okay, have it your way. Another way to put it is there are those like, I think, most of us here tonight who live in grace. Grace. You know what grace means? Grace means that you're not going to get what you deserve. You're not going to get what you deserve. How many of you guys sinned today? I'm just curious. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just sinned right now in church. <laughs> We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we're not going to get what we deserve because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we will be covered with his righteousness. And Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So those of us who are Christians, we placed our faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for dying for us. So, you know, there's the grace that we will experience as Christians. But those who reject Jesus, we're reading about right here, is they get what they deserve. And that's why it's so important as we're here tonight. And, you know, who knows? Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you didn't really understand anything I said. That's okay. I still love you. I've learned this because I've been talking to my cousins lately. You know, some of them that watched um, my mom's memorial service. And uh, even today I got a text message from another one of my cousins. And, and I'm learning this. Just the power of the name of Jesus. Just his name. I don't want to complicate it. I don't want to say, well, it's a religion. You've got to dot I's and cross T's. No. It's Jesus. And I've learned as I'm talking to my cousins and talking to different people that, that when you just share Jesus with them, 
That's where this relationship starts. They, they understand that. There's something inside of them. I, I know it's the Holy Spirit. They understand that. And that's why I just want to do that again tonight. Because just in case there's someone here and you just know, where do I start? Where do I begin? How do I enter into a relationship with God? It's through Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. And He has a beautiful plan for your life. Put your faith in Him. Follow Him. Trust Him. And watch what He does.